Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Man, you may be seated. As the worship team was singing that song, it, it, it made me think of Jesus' words where Jesus talks about uh, not just a river, but he talks about how he is the river. He says, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. He says, the water that I give you will become a well of water springing up until eternal life. And I am grateful that we serve a God that uh, knows how to give us eternal life. Anybody come to worship Jesus today? Y'all don't sound like it. Anybody come to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the one who gives us life? What a great God that we serve. It's Psalm 103 that says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. I am certainly grateful to be in the house of God today. Grateful to be in, my father would say, grateful to be in the land of the living. I'm just glad to be alive. Anybody glad you got breath in your body this morning and you're in your right mind and man, God is still on the throne. It's a beautiful day outside. I mean, God is just good. I want to get right to it if y'all don't mind. Uh, grab your Bibles and get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at your neighbor as you turn there and just say, I'm happy to see you today. Come on, look at somebody else and just say, I'm happy to see you. You look nice. Come on, even if they don't look nice, just say, you, you, you look nice. I'm happy to see you today. As you guys are turning to 1 Corinthians 15, I want to make you aware of a situation that happened earlier this week. Um, you know, as a staff, we, uh, we, we operate out of this building during the week as, you know, as, as, as our offices and we conduct meetings here and uh, we just do the business affairs of the church uh, Monday through Friday here in this building. And earlier this week on, um, I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday, but one of our staff members was coming into the church and he realized that the building had been vandalized outside. Um, but it wasn't just vandalized. Upon further inspection, we realized that the, the words nigger was wrote on the outside of the building, not N-I-G-G-A. N-I-G-G-E-R. That E-R hits just, it hits different. And we're currently investigating the situation. We have reported it to the police, and we have some more to do tomorrow um, in, in terms of tracking it down. We're actually checking surveillance cameras to see if we could find uh, who did it. And I can just tell you, you know, as Atlantic Avenue is a busy street. So if you're driving by the church, I don't care if it's late at night, just peek over in the church. If you see anything suspicious, please report it. Um, so that we can all take care of the church. And as a Christian, I was appalled that somebody would disrespect the house of God. I know some of you are like, well, that's just plaster walls. Just a, it's just a building. The church is, you know, we are the church, and I, I'm with you. I get you. You know, but if you look at Exodus chapter 35, the detail and attention that went into building the tabernacle, a place where God's people can gather, a place where God's presence dwells, I was highly appalled. And then as a black pastor, I just, I just was, I felt disrespected. I felt like we was disrespected. I felt like God's people was disrespected. You know, they don't teach you this stuff in seminary. They, they don't teach you how to clean the words nigger off the building in seminary. And it frustrated me and it aggravated me. I actually was trying to figure out how to way to pull numbers, uh, not numbers, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 21 out of context. 
I was. Y'all know what that verse says? It says, Nehemiah saw some people hanging around the wall. And, and he said, uh, uh, if you're hanging around the wall, if you're lodging outside the wall, if you do it again, I'll lay hands on you. That's what he said. <laughs> and as a pastor, I have, uh, I have the authority to lay hands, and the scriptures give me, gives me discretion on how much force to use when I am laying hands. But on a serious note, be praying for, um, for the building. Such hate, such disrespect, and hate and racism knows no depth. It, 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 it'll go to illegal bounds to vandalize somebody's building and risk getting caught. And it, it just it knows. And this is why you have to preach a gospel that's wide enough that impacts sin, including racism. Racism, hate is sin. You have to we don't preach a social gospel. We have so many people like, oh, don't talk about that because then you're getting into critical race theory. Now we're talking about the gospel and how wide it is to impact all of our sin, including your hate and including your racism. And so be praying for the church. Um, I hate to bring that news to y'all. I was, uh, it bothered me, bothered me, bothered me all weekend. And uh, we're, we're tracking it down. And uh, if we find who did it, uh, I will exercise numbers. Thir- no, I'm kidding. I won't, I won't exercise. I'll, we'll just let the, we'll let the Lord deal with them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. All right. First Corinthians 15. Y'all there? Come on, talk back to me. Y'all there? All right. A couple of verses. Verse uh, number one. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you and which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of do me a favor, just underline these 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 words, highlight them. They are so important for I delivered to you as of first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We'll stop there. I want to preach today from the topic, really lifting up the words right out of verse number three, first importance. Somebody say first importance. I'm going to see where our priorities lie today. Let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but we do so because of your great mercy. We realize, oh God, in this moment, we can't here without you. And so, Father, remove the spiritual earwax out of our ears, unclog it, move the distractions. And, Father, when we get into this space, it's easy to think about if we left the iron on and if we locked the door. And it's just so many distractions the enemy puts in our way. Remove it all so that we can hear from you and hear from you clearly. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First importance. Uh, 2013, the Lord began to press on my heart this idea of starting a church. I was working in corporate America. I had no clue of how to start a church. I was involved in a church. I was always serving. I worked in the children's ministry. I was on the cleanup crew. If the men's event had anything, I was the one doing the grill and setting up and breaking down. And I was very content just serving the body of Christ. And then the Lord began to press this idea and crystallize the idea of starting a church. And uh, one of the first things I did, I was living in Philadelphia at the time. I began to do a pastoral residency somewhere around uh, May of 2013. And right when I was about to go into ministry, 
I begin to write down the core convictions of Epiphany Church, the stuff that we stand on right now in 2013. I'll, I'll never forget it. I was at a coffee shop. I don't remember the name of it, but I used to go to this coffee shop on 12th and Lombard in Philadelphia, and I would go there two or three times a week, and I would constantly just drink my coffee and just write convictions and write a prospectus and write a business plan. How was he going to raise money? How was we going to gather people? Why does Brooklyn need another church? This is the borough of churches. Why do we need another church? And I begin to write out these core convictions of what I believe that the Lord was calling our church to be. And a few of those convictions, I want to lay them before you. Number one, it was uh, this idea of community focused. I wanted to be a church that wasn't like, hey, come and gather, come and see. I wanted to be a church that gathered, to be a church that scatters, to, to be a church that goes out in the community. Wherever you live and wherever you dwell, you don't live on your block by accident. You don't, you don't live in that building by accident. You don't work on that job by accident. And I wanted to be a people uh, that gathered, almost like a gas station, to fill you up so that you can get back out and live this thing. I wanted to be community focused, but I also wanted the community focus to extend beyond just the outside community. And I wanted to form a biblical community. You know, Acts chapter two says that 3000 souls came to the Lord. And when 3000 souls came to the Lord, the Bible says in verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship, to the gatherings, to the koinia. So I wanted to be a community within the community people among a bunch of people, culture among a culture. That was the first conviction I had as a church. I wanted to make sure that we were people that were community focused. But I also wanted us to be uh, extremely culturally relevant. This is Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. I, I didn't want to plant a church here that felt different, that was a stuffy and over, uh, overly liturgical. Please don't get me wrong. I, I believe in Orthodox Christianity. I believe that we hold true to what the scripture says. But I want the dude that comes off the street to be able to walk in and see people that looks like him. See, see, see sisters that looks like her and be able to uh, feel like they're a part and then you hook them by getting them into the gospel. This is why I don't preach in suits on, although I don't mind if you got your suit on today, you, you look nice. I, I, I got you. I, I choose to preach in fresh pair of ones and some cut ups. That's just kind of how God has wired me culturally relevant ministry. I want the worship to be relevant to the music that you're used to. I want the preaching to have language that's that you're used to, but I wanted to be focused on the gospel of Christ. So culturally relevant. I wanted to be community focused. I wanted to be Bible based. I wrote that as a conviction, Josh. I wanted our church to have a foundation of preaching the word of God. I just didn't see myself as a self-help prosperity preacher. I just didn't see myself as the dude with the shiny suit and the cuffs. I just didn't. I didn't feel like that's where God was calling me. I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor and a preacher that stood on the word of God week in and week out. That we, we would gather and know that this is the moment where we get to hear from God right out of what he's already said in his word. Finally, the last conviction that I wrote down that I wanted to make sure our church consistently was forming to be. And that's this idea of being a gospel centered church, a church that focuses on the message of Christ, a, a church that doesn't, isn't swayed by what culture says. It, it doesn't, doesn't move based on uh, what culture does, but we stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, a church that applies the gospel to our struggles, our lives, our occupations, our degrees, 
our families, our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, every aspect of our life would be saturated with the gospel, saturated with Christ, saturated with the work of the cross, which is why every week you come in here, I, I, don't, I don't preach anything else but Jesus Christ. I, I, I want to be focused on what they call Christocentrism, gospel-centered, gospel-fluency. You know, you don't have to think, like, whatever language you speak. I know there's some people in here that speak multiple languages, but whatever languages you, 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 you are fluent in. Anybody fluent in more than one language? Got a few people. I see those hands. Anybody fluent in more than two languages? Oh, come on now. Whatever languages you're fluent in, you don't have to think hard about that conversation. You can just flow. You can just, you can just move. I wanted the gospel fluency to be like that in the church. But we didn't have to think hard about the work of Christ. We knew how to just talk about it. We knew how to just apply it. But that comes with constantly hearing the word of God. And so gospel-centered view of, of, of all aspects of life, every area of life. And I realize now that I've been pastoring for a while, people really do wrestle with a lot of sin. That's, that's not like, that's not hyperbole. We, we wrestle with a lot of baggage, we, we wrestle with a lot of turmoil. There are people that dibble and dabble, even might be some of you in this room, we dibble and dabble in so many other religions. And uh, there are some of us that just want to grow and be better husbands and you want to be better wives and better singles and pure. And I realize that the way that all of that works is when we're gospel centered. The key to all of that is when we're focusing on Jesus Christ. And so we come to a passage where I would call the gospel globe trotter. One of the greatest church planners, the greatest people to start churches was this guy named Paul, and he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And what I love about what Paul does is he helps them to realize that the gospel is not the launching pad to something else. But he helps them to realize that the gospel is the goal. If you're in here and you're like, okay, I got the message of Christ. Let's move on. Let's move on to something else. You'll be disappointed because there is nothing else. The gospel is the goal. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the end all be all. Nothing else is more important than it. Nothing else matters. It, it, it really is the air that we be, breathe. And so in the text, Paul is going to write this letter to Corinth. I would argue the most gifted of all the churches in the New Testament. If you have any Bible fam, uh, familiarity, if, if you have any background in the word of God or any background in church history, you'll agree that Corinth was an extremely gifted church, but they also were an extremely messy church. They were extremely dysfunctional church. Sounds like a lot of our churches today, including Epiphany Church. If you're coming here going, I'm leaving that other church because that church had mess, uh, just give it a few weeks and, and we'll light you up here too. It's, we're just, we're messy people. We, we are a messy bunch of, we are, whenever you get a bunch of sinners in a room, there's bound to be mess. I need a married couple that, that, that knows what I'm talking about. Whenever you get two to come together, there's always something. There's always friction. There's always tension. And so this church was messy, but it was also a very gifted church, so much so that Paul spends a lot of this book, 1 Corinthians, writing about the giftings in the church. 
chapter number 11, he's talking about prophecy. In chapter number 12, he talks about the, uh, the, the varied of, of different spiritual gifts. In fact, he starts chapter 12 by saying, now concerning these spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be in, uninformed. In other words, I got to help you uh, to, to, to make sure that you are using your gifts properly and not out of order. Chapter 12, he talks about uh, spiritual gifts more. And then chapter 14, he spends a whole chapter talking about tongues and prophecy. In fact, there's one point where he says, if you're gathering together, don't everybody speak in tongues at once. Don't everybody prophesy at once. He says two or three the most. And then each in turn, that's order. And then if, if somebody speaks in tongues, there has to be an interpreter. And if there is no interpreter, then, then, then speak alone. Why? Because if you everybody speaking in tongues and using their spiritual gifts all at the same time, and maybe we'll do a, a sermon series on spiritual gifts, because some of you probably like, well, what are you even talking about? But whenever the gifts are used in the body, Paul says, do it in order. Because if you don't do it in order, this is what Paul says, an outsider will come in and think you're out of your minds. In other words, I want the, the, the church, the gathering to be in order because it should be evangelistic. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus and we're running around here speaking in tongues and, and we're running around here bumping into the walls and we're at, everybody's going crazy. Like, hear me. I want you to be expressive in your worship. I just want to be charismatic with a seatbelt. I just want to be cautious here. I want to be in order. And so what Paul does is he writes this letter to a church that is extremely gifted. And you would think because of their gifting, they don't need the gospel anymore. But Paul finally gets to chapter 15 and he says, wait, 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 wait. I know you're gifted, but guess what? You still need to hear about Jesus. I know you've already heard about it. I know you've given your life to Jesus. I know you're walking with him and you've been journeying with him for a while, but you still need to hear about Jesus. In fact, he says it this way. Pick me up in verse one. Y'all rocking with me? We good? Verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you in which you received, in which you stand. Let me go back to the first part of that. I would remind you. Brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, I circled this word remind in my Bible. I drew a line out to the margin and I wrote, he already told them. He already preached the gospel to them. Why is Paul taking uh, seemingly precious time? Why is he wasting ink right now to write about the gospel in which he already told them? Paul, you already shared the gospel with him. People already gave their life to the Lord. Why in the world do you need to re-communicate the gospel? He says, I want to remind you, meaning he's already done it before. Move on, Paul. Keep going. Preach something else. But Paul understood that the gospel is not something we move on from. Every chance Paul got, he preached the gospel. Whenever Paul saw a pen and paper, he wrote about the gospel. If he had a moment to talk about Jesus, he always talked about Jesus. Paul would say stuff like, in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being. Because Paul understood that you don't move on from the gospel because it is the message that saves you and sustains you. Does that make sense? It's not the door to get in and then you walk around the house aimlessly, but it's the door to get in and it's the house. It's the door and it sustains us. And so many of us are going, well, let's just move on. There's, there's other stuff to talk about. There's other stuff we should deal with. And Paul is like, no, I can't move on because we don't hear the gospel at salvation and move on to something else. The gospel is everything. As a preacher, I personally have been trained to always get to Christ. I have done you a disservice. Zuri, I promise you, I have done you a disservice if you came in here 
and did not hear about Jesus. You came in here and did not hear about the work of the cross. If you came in here and did not hear how Jesus fulfilled all things, if you did not hear about how he's the sustainer of life, I love what Yolanda said when she was doing uh, the welcome, where she talked about how in First Corinthians, uh, in, in Colossians, it says he holds all things together, not held, holds currently right now. The same way that chair is holding you up, Jesus is holding your life together. How many know without Jesus, you would fall apart? You'd be a plum mess. You'd be crazy. But with Jesus, he holds us together. And so as a church, I want, to be, I want to be like Paul. He says, I remind you of the gospel I preached to you. I constantly, week in and week out, want to remind you. And as a church, we need those reminders. Let, let me help you. As an individual, you need that reminder. You constantly need to be reminded of the gospel, hearing it and applying it. Hearing about the work of Christ and applying it. Hearing about the sacrifice of Jesus and then learning how to be sacrificial yourself. Hearing about the grace and mercy of Jesus and then learning how to be gracious and merciful yourself. We want to look like Jesus. We got to hear the gospel and we got to apply the gospel. Here's the question. Why, Pastor B? Why do we need to hear it so much? I heard it already. Well, why do I have to keep hearing this message? Well, I have a few reasons. Write these down if you're writing notes. Three reasons you need to be reminded of the gospel. I would say daily, not weekly. Daily you need to be reminded. And you need to remind yourself and apply it to your, to your situation. Here, here's uh, reason number one that you need to be reminded of the gospel. Because having familiar, familiarity with the gospel helps us to identify false gospels. Does that make sense? Whenever you are well acquainted with the true gospel of Jesus Christ written in 66 books, you'll be able to identify false gospels. If you ask somebody that is specialized in identifying counterfeit bills, they'll tell you that they, they spot counterfeit bills not by studying fake bills and counterfeit bills, but they learn uh, counterfeit bills by being well acquainted with a real bill. They study the ink of real money. They study the parchment or the paper of real money. Because the more familiar I am with real money, the easier it is to spot a fake. And many of us are, are going with every wind and doctrine and we're dibbling and dabbling in a bunch of different religions because you haven't stood firm in the real. And you haven't been acquainted enough with the real gospel. And so Paul's like, look, I know y'all are drift. Corinthians, I know y'all are gifted. I know y'all gave y'all life to the Lord, but y'all will drift if you aren't reminded on a consistent basis with the gospel. And so it breeds familiarity. You, you need to know the gospel week in and week out, day in and day out. Why? Because it helps you to spot the fake. Number two, if you're writing notes, having familiarity with the gospel helps us to stay rooted in the work of Christ and not our work. Let me see if that makes sense here. I, am, I don't know what it is about my disposition, but I am so prone. I believe in the work of Christ. But if you catch me on the wrong day, I'm prone to start to believe in my own work plus the cross. Like I start to feel like I got to help God out. God, you, you know that the cross was, I know it was powerful, but it wasn't powerful enough. So I now got to earn my salvation. And when you try to earn your salvation, number one, it's impossible to do. But number two, it makes you forsake the work of Christ. When you try to earn what Christ has already done, he sat on the cross and completed the work. And he said to Telestai, it is finished. It's done. I don't, you don't need to do anymore. And so when you are reminded of the gospel week in and week out, day in and day out, it helps you to realize that you ain't that dude. 
That you ain't the one that's earning your salvation. You never could earn it. Jesus has already earned it on our behalf. Number three, if you're writing notes, having familiarity with the gospel helps us to have hope in the midst of a cruel world. I don't know how people make it in this world without Jesus. I, I don't. I don't, know, I don't know how you made it out the pandemic without Jesus. It was a few months. I almost lost my mind, but I held firm because I was reminding myself of the work of Jesus Christ. I know how the story ends. Jesus will be victorious. I ain't got to worry. When I look around this world, I was looking at CNN early this week, and I'm like, oh, my God, like everything is falling apart. Chris Cuomo just got fired. Did y'all see that? It's like, man, I feel like the world is like you look in different parts of the world and it seems like it's chaos all around us. But I got hope because I know how this thing ends. Me at the feet of my King Jesus, where he is victorious and ransomed everything. So re being reminded of the gospel helps you to have hope in a crazy, cruel world. And so Paul says today, I want to remind you. That's all I want to do. I want to remind you. And in my mind earlier this week, Diana, I was scratching my head because I was going... Well, why waste time reminding believers when the gospel saves non-believers? Just go share the gospel with non-believers. The believer doesn't need it. But then I realize it's really twofold. This, this might mess with you theologically, but the gospel is just important for the believer as it is the non-believer. Oftentimes we say, just share it with the, the non-believer. But my, my sis, you need the gospel too. Bro, you need the gospel too. And so, yeah, it's for the non-believer because it saves the non-believer. Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You don't get saved without the gospel. So the gospel saves us, but, but it's also for the believer as well. Paul is writing to believers today. In Romans chapter 9, uh, Romans chapter 10, he's writing to believers. He says, I earnestly desire to preach the gospel to you. Why? Because it saves us and sustains us. Can somebody just say it saves us and it sustains us? So Paul says, I want to remind you what I already preached to you. I already told you about the death of Christ. I already told you about the work of Christ. But I got to remind you why? Because you need it. Don't ever get bored with the gospel. Can, can y'all like, talk back? Just, don't ever get bored with the gospel. Don't, don't ever allow the work of Christ to be common. Don't ever allow it to just be that thing that Jesus did. No, that thing that Jesus did ransomed my dead heart. It opened up my eyes. It gave me liberty. It gave me access to a holy God. And so he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Watch this. In which you received. He says, in which you stand. In which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, you received the gospel, that's past tense. He says, you stand in the gospel, that's present tense. And then he says, you are being saved, that's future tense. Are, are y'all tracking with Paul's language here? Look at the progression of how the gospel saves and sustains us and brings us all the way to glory. He says, in which you received, in, in which you stand, in which you are being saved. I love this word stand. I hope y'all are rocking with me. I love this word stand. It, 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 in the Greek, it, it, it's histemi. It, it literally means to hold one's ground, to plant your feet, to maintain a position. It speaks of the firm stance that you have. And here is why you have to hear the gospel over and over again. Because every time you hear the gospel, it digs your feet in just a little bit further. 
It helps you to be firm. And here's why you need to be firm. Because when the cares of life come to blow and to knock you down and to make you sway and to make you fluctuate on the gospel, you stand firm on the gospel because you dug your feet each week, each day that you heard this message of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I feel like the wind is blowing. Sometimes I feel like the water is rising. Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like, I, like, like I'm going to just lose my mind. But the reason I don't lose my mind is because in which you received, in which you, histemi, stand. I've learned to live life in, with this open hand, closed hand model. Are y'all rocking with me? Open hand, closed hand model. There, there are a few things that I would say are secondary in life. They might be important. But they're secondary in life. They're, 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 not, they're not the end-all, be-all. The gospel is a closed-hand issue for me. So an open-hand issue would be something like, I don't know, baptism. Like this is in theological terms, just like baptism. Like, it's important, but I'm okay to argue back and forth with you on minor details. Let me give you an example. I have friends that sprinkle. We don't sprinkle. We immerse. We put you all the way in, and we bring you all the way out. I have, I have friends that are, that are paedo-baptists. They, they baptize infants. I don't, y'all seen that one video where the priest put the baby in the water, and he fell in the water, and then he had to, like, I, we don't baptize infants. We baptize professing believers, not a, not a certain age limit, but if you have communicated the gospel and you're able to profess faith in Jesus Christ and you deserve to be baptized. We don't, we don't do infant baptism, but guess what? I got friends that do and I still believe that they're believers. Still believe that they are saved. Why? Because it's a secondary issue. I got friends that baptize only in Jesus' name. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit based on Matthew 28. But guess what? It's a secondary issue. When I stand before God, he's not going to argue with me about that. He's not going to condemn me about that. But guess what's a closed-hand issue? He's gonna, he wants to know, have you believed in his son? Have you believed in the work of the cross? Because those are the only, that's the only way you'll hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You won't hear well done because you baptized a certain way. We allow secondary issues to become primary issues. And today, Paul is like, no, 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 in which you received, in which you stand, and in which you are being saved, histemi, stand firm in the gospel. Because I've learned that if you're not standing in the gospel, you're always standing somewhere. Your, your, your feet are planted somewhere. And some of us have planted our feet in a prideful way. We've, we've planted our feet on our occupation. And now when somebody sees you, they identify you first as, oh, that's doctor so-and-so or lawyer so-and-so. Or sometimes people be like, oh, that's pastor. No, I'm Brandon, a servant of Jesus Christ. Because I don't plant my feet in secondary issues. I have learned to plant my feet in the work of Christ. Planting your feet, help, planting your feet will help you to fight sin as well. Anybody struggle just a little bit? Can, can we be honest? Can I see some hands if you struggle just a little bit? If you don't have your hand up, I need to be sitting there. You should be up here. You, you should be preaching because I struggle just a little bit. But when you hear the gospel and you histemi, stand firm in the gospel, it helps you to fight sin. I wasn't going to do this, but look, look back at chapter six real quick. In fact, chapter five, I, I won't be long here. I told you that this is a messy church. I just want to show you the sin that's going on in the church. This is Corinth. This is a powerful church. Look at the mess going on here. He says, in, verse number, in chapter 5, he says, It's actually been reported among you 
that there is sexual immorality of a kind that's not even tolerated by outsiders. Paul just said, y'all are wilding. Y'all are bugging more than the people outside. Then he goes on and says, a man has his father's wife dysfunctional. Then he says, he starts to list out all of their sin. He says, there's sexual immorality among you. There's, there's deceivers. There's idolatry. This is chapter 6. There's adulterers, men who practice homosexuality. There's thieves. There's, there's those of you who are greedy and drunkards and revilers and, and swindlers. And then he goes on in verse 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. In other words, chapter 5 and chapter 6, he says, y'all are dysfunctional. Y'all are sinful. But guess what helps you to fight sin? Get to chapter 15. Because in chapter 15, I got to remind you of the gospel. Why do I have to remind you of the gospel? Because it helps you fight sin. I feel like I'm getting angry and I don't mean to. But it helps you to fight sin. And the reason why many of us have given into sin is because we stop being reminded of what Jesus did. Like you're not, it's not just that you lack discipline. You probably do. I probably do. I get it. It's not just that you don't have accountability, because here's the thing about accountability. Accountability will be there most of the time, but they ain't there at three o'clock in the morning when you're scrolling on your phone. Accountability isn't in your thoughts. Accountability helps with your actions, but it doesn't help with your thoughts. And don't hear me pushing against accountability. All of us need accountability. But what we need more than accountability is to be reminded of the gospel. Histemi. Stand firm. If you get no other word, get this word. The Greek is stand firm. Plant your feet. Be rooted in the work of Christ. Is this all right with y'all? Verse number two, he says, Verse 1, he says, now I remind you of the gospel that I preached to you and what you received and what you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, the second time you talk about preaching it to them, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of, I told y'all to underline this, first importance. Paul says what I just told you is of priority. There's nothing more important to it. It is this message that gives you life. It is this message that gives you liberty. It is this message that gives you freedom. Paul wrote 75% of the New Testament, and he's like, out of everything I ever wrote, this message is the most important message. This is the message you can't live without. This is the message that should be air, the oxygen in which you breathe. This is the message that doesn't need debating This is the message that doesn't need you to fluctuate on it. This is the message in which we need. Paul says it's a first importance. Somebody say first importance. We have allowed the work of Christ to be a secondary issue. We have gotten our priorities mixed up. We've gone through life and and, and we look at the things of life and the shiny objects and we allow those to be a first priority. In reality, first priority needs to be the message of Christ. It's the most important message. It's more important than your job. Look, I know you got a promotion. I get it. I know you got a good job. I know you got a good gig. I I get it. But the gospel is more important than that. It is more important than your friendships. It's more important than your relationships. It is more important than the hobbies that we uh, conjure up. It is more important uh, than, than the things that we think up. It is the most important. I'll say it this way. It is everything. In life, the important things need to have priority. 
The things that, that Jesus puts as a priority, Paul puts as a priority must be a first priority in the church. He says it's of first importance. And then he goes on to explain it. He says, Here, here's the message. He says that, that Christ died for our sins, this verse 3, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I don't know if y'all see this, but that's shorthand for the gospel. He, he says it's of first importance and then he goes on to explain it. He says, Christ died for our sins. He was buried and that he rose on the third day. And I love that he says, in accordance with the scriptures. He died, he was buried, and that he rose again. Simple. Died, he was buried, he rose again. I, 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 I have not lost my place. I just want you to get this. He died for our sins. Get that sin on your mind. Yeah, that one. He died. For our sins, there is no sin that's greater than the cross. The cross has power even over the most wicked and vile sin. Look at Paul. He's writing about the gospel. He talks about later on, he's going to say, I'm the chief of sinners. Like You thought you sinned. I got, you got a bachelor's degree. I got a PhD in sin. That's what Paul's saying. But he says he died. He was buried and then he rose again. Paul helps us to understand today that the gospel is so important. You might be sitting here going, well, I hear you keep talking about the gospel. You, you almost just sound like a, like, like a turkey, gobble, gobble, gospel, gospel. You, just, you sound weird, like, explain what the gospel is. Do you know that there is a God that is over the universe that is all-powerful? Like, not just all-powerful, but Josh, he's all-knowing. He, he knows the depth of the sea. He knows the width of the Grand Canyon. He knows the height of Mount Everest, but let me help you, not just the height of Mount Everest, the height of every mountain on every planet in the universe. He knows all of the stars, and he knows them by name. And just in case you're like, oh, he's that big guy that doesn't know me, but guess what? The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on your head. You know what that means? That doesn't mean he knows how many hairs you have on your head. That means he's numbered them every day. You know you look in the sink and you pick your hair and you comb your hair and that one fell out. He's like, oh, there goes hair number 95,442. He knows you in depth. Here's the problem. Because this God is so all-powerful and so all-knowing and knows everything, that means he knows my sin. He, he knows my dysfunction. He knows what I did last night. He knows what I did last week. He knows the thing that I told you to get on your mind that you didn't tell anybody about. It's not hidden from him. Here's the problem. It's not just, it's not just a problem that he knows it. The problem is that he knows it and no sin can be in his presence. This sounds like a setup. This sounds like it's over before it started. He knows me and he doesn't allow sin in his presence. I am doomed and the reality is we are doomed oh but there's a plan that he has john 3 16 says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we should not perish those who believe in jesus will never perish and here's the bridge that we have you might feel like you are hopeless and without uh, you are in despair but guess what even though he knows your dysfunction he sent a savior to die for your sins and that's what he said in the text Christ who died for our sins. You know what that means? That, mean, that means he died for the stuff that you should have died for. I don't know if he, he stood on the cross when really he should be the one down on the cross and you should be on the cross. 
He, he didn't just die for your sins. He died in place of you. He got what you deserved and you got what he deserved. He deserved to walk free, but the guilty get to walk free and the innocent was condemned because he died in your place. Substitutionary atonement. He, he and here's the thing, if you don't believe, and I, I don't believe in scare tactics, I promise, I, I know hell is hot and eternity is long, but I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I don't believe heaven is a place for scared people. Heaven is a place for people that have been blood bought by Jesus Christ. So I'm not trying to scare you, but I do got to give you the reality of it. If you don't trust in Jesus, guess what? The thing that happened to him over 2,000 years ago, he still has it stored up for you. He, he didn't run out of wrath. He still got some wrath. But for those of us that trusted in Jesus, he stood in our place, got what we deserved. There's a story. I've told this story before of a young boy that was allergic to bees. And he was in the backyard. And his father was grilling. His father was grilling. And the boy sees a bee come in the backyard. And he starts running frantically, running frantically. The father was, un, he was unbothered, just continued to flip his, his burgers Boy ran up to his father and said, Daddy, why, you know I'm allergic to bees. Why are you not worried? He said, because that bee just stung your brother and his stinger is already gone. This is what we get in a deeper way, in a higher way. This is what we get in the gospel. The stinger has been removed. Jesus has been stung so that we would never be stung. A believer will never have to fear the wrath of God. A believer will never have to fear God's punishment. Why? Because Jesus already received it for you. And if God punishes you for what he already punished Christ for, it's double jeopardy. Anybody ever seen that movie? Y'all remember that Libby Parsons said, I'll shoot you right in the middle of Mardi Gras and get away with it. You know why she could get away with it legally? Because the state would not allow her to fall into double jeopardy. She can't pay for time she already paid for. Jesus already paid for it. You ain't got to pay for it. I need somebody to worship Jesus that paid for our sins. So I got life now because Jesus died. I, I got redemption because Jesus died. I got eternal life and access and liberty because Jesus died. And what kind of message is this that the king would come off his throne and die for us? Do, do you know of a king, an earthly king that would die for his servants? Y'all know most times it's the other way around, right? The servant's job is to die for the king. I mean, what would a secret service say? We don't have a monarchy here, but just, just think in terms of the, the context of the U.S. The Secret Service would take a bullet for the leader. But Jesus is opposite. He'd be like, you ain't taking nothing from me. I took it for you. What king do you know comes off his throne where he is being worshipped by angels? You know how big angels are? You know how scary angels are? People would see angels in the text and wet their pants. They worship Jesus. He steps off of his throne comes down to dwell amongst sinful people like us. And then you know what he does? He absorbs the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. Oh, but it gets better that he gives you that perfect life that he had. This is the message we need to be reminded of. That we have a king that was a servant. I didn't come to be served. This is what he said. I come to serve, to give my life as a ransom. Some of you, I know it, I'm not... I'm not naive. You've grown up in church. And you've heard the gospel, but you didn't hear the gospel. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It was there, but you didn't, it just, 
it, it wasn't palatable. You didn't receive it. Guess what? Today, the stinger can be removed. Today can be the day, can be the start of eternal life. Today. Can you believe that? Today. And it's that simple. A lot of times we want to make it so hard or you got to take an essay to get that. No, I got to do nothing but say, I trust in Jesus. Trust in the work. It's of first importance to me now. The stinger can be removed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of you, your priorities are all over the place. And I don't mean to be funny. I'm, I'm serious. So this room is packed today. I'm not naive. I know it's not packed with people that have said, I've trusted in Jesus. Some of you haven't. And some of you have professed faith in Jesus, but you know you really, it's only a profession. It's not a demonstration. There's a gap between what you said and what you, that you said you believe in your actual walk. You don't live as though he's Lord. Today's the day. He wants the gospel to be of first importance in your life. You registered to hear about the gospel today. I think God is saving somebody right now. You, it's, it's not by accident you made it to church today. It's not by accident we got up and brushed our teeth and showered and came to church. It's not by accident. It is divine purpose. It is providential. And here's the thing. You can run today, but I believe that his grace is irresistible. You run today, he'll catch you tomorrow. He'll catch you I pray that your whole week is messed up unless today the stinger is removed. Who is it that would say, that's me, that's me. I, I, I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to get it right. I need to stop running. I need to stop playing games. I need to stop dibbling and dabbling. I need to stop having one foot in, on earth and one foot in heaven. I want to give it all to him, his stimmy. I want to stand firm. I want to be unmoved. Who is it that would say, that's me? I want to give my life to the Lord. Today is that day. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, let's worship Jesus. All heaven is rejoicing over one. Who else is it that your heart has been moved? You now see the, now you now see the beauty of Christ. Who else is it? Who else is it that would give their life to the Lord today? I want to I I stretch it just a minute here and give you a chance. Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Today is the day that the stinger is removed. Can you do me a favor? My, my sis, I think it's, I saw one hand. It's a little dark out there. So I, I don't know if there's others, but if that's you, if you, if you would say that's me, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. No embarrassment, nothing spooky, nothing deep. Can you just do me a favor? Can you just come up so I can pray with you? We all had to get here. If that's you, Yolanda, come on up. If, if that's you, come, come on up. If that's you, come on up. Come on. Thank you, sis. I see you. Come on. Let's thank God for my sis. Thank God for my sis. Today is the day. Why, why, why do we play these games? Like, why do we play these games? And Like, let's, if we're going to do this, listen, I'm not doing it half-hearted. That's just me. I'm just, either I'm going to go full all the way in the world 
or I'm going to go full all the way into Christ. And I choose Christ because everything else is fleeting. Who else is it? Is there somebody else that would say that's me? I want to trust in Jesus. I want to pray for this, sis. Father, we thank you. One soul today. It's your, it's, this is your work. It's in my words. My words fail. It's the power of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray from this day forward that my sis would walk away and have a renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of life, that she would realize that when the gospel hits her, it changes everything. Nothing looks the same. And that she would know that she's secure now in Jesus. She's going to make mistakes. There's grace. She's going to make bad decisions still. There's grace. She's not always going to do it right, but there is grace. And we thank you that we do not have to live up to some idea of perfection, but we get it in Jesus. And we thank you that you died for us so that we could live for you. And so, Father, I pray that not just she would be saved, but her whole family would be saved because she professed faith today. Pray that her whole block would be saved because she professed faith today. I pray that everybody on her job would be saved because she professed faith in Jesus Christ today. And she's renounced her righteousness and leaned on the righteousness of Jesus. Father, I thank you today for your glorious gospel. I thank you for being a king that was willing to serve us and not be served. I thank you, oh God, for a king that was willing to walk this earth and die a death that we could not die so that she could come down 2,000 years later in 2021 in Brooklyn, New York on a blown Atlantic Avenue that she would give her. You did it for her. And God, we thank you and we trust you and we believe in your word and we look I can't wait to kneel next to my sister and worship you forever. You are good. You are gracious and you are kind. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's thank God for our sister. We're about to go into worship. And those of you who are at home, grab your communion. But I need you to grab your communion assured. The gospel works. And it's of first importance.